Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ineash Brodsky. I'm Stephen Suber. I'm Jay Sticky. And today we're going to get lucky, but not until after we have talked about the various listener feedbacks that we have. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. Uh, the first thing we have isn't even a listener feedback. It's just an update. Uh, last episode, we mentioned the Twitter thread about uh, it might not be lithium. Uh, just a couple days after we recorded that, it was expanded into a full less wrong post where Natalia lays out a pretty good case that it's probably not lithium. The short version is that the slime old time old people made a very good circumstantial evidence case for lithium, but they seem to have ignored specific empirical studies uh, that would be contradictory to their message. When it came to actual empirical studies, it looks like the lithium is much smaller than they would than they had estimated it would be. So it's probably not lithium, although I still am strongly suspicious that it is some sort of environmental contaminant because all their case for there's probably some sort of environmental contaminant seemed very strong. Yeah, the general point was that we feel like it's an environmental contaminant. Mm -hmm. Their stronger claim was we feel like it's lithium. Yeah. But that if it's not lithium, it could be something else for sure. Yeah. What's fun, and I just learned this, is... This is a 41-minute read, which means for me it's a 90-minute read. Don't. But top of the thing on the on Less Wrong says, this post has been recorded as part of the Less Wrong curated podcast and oh. can be listened to on et cetera, Spotify. Oh, yeah. So today I learned there's a Less Wrong curated podcast. And we so, will include a link to that so you can listen to it instead of reading it if you want to. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're like me and you're listening to this, you like listening to stuff rather than reading it. So. You're both. Both are good. <laughs> yeah. Reading with your eyes is so 2000 and late, though. Hard to do while driving. That is true. Not impossible. Not impossible. <laughs> Still, right. shouldn't be done. Oh, wow. It's a 40. So that's funny. It's a 41 minute read. The episode is an hour and 11 minutes. Okay. Yep. So people uh, speak slower than they can read. Dude, whoever, we need to find whoever's responsible for uh, making this. It just started on June 20th. Cool. And give them a high five. Hell yeah. Uh, I'll find out and reach out to them because this is incidentally if you're listening to this reach out to us <laughs> yeah say hi june 20th that's like three weeks ago yeah there's yeah. only a few posts on this thing but it looks like it's the ones that um or at least a handful of these are the ones i get in my email of like this week's best posts yeah that i'd never end up reading yeah, yeah. so uh now i can read them oh that's fucking awesome we yeah. gotta give mad props to this person maybe get him on the uh podcast or something sounds like a plan cool okay yep all right, so on to actual, actual listener feedback. Uh, all of these came from the Discord because uh, I've been spending a lot of time on the Discord. Also thinking maybe I should spend less time on the Discord. Not that I don't love my Discord peeps, because I really do love all my Discord peeps, but I just feel like I've been spending too much time in front of screens lately, and that's always bad. You need to go touch grass. You need to go touch grass, that's right. Which yeah. I thought meant go use marijuana, but no, it <laughs> means go outside. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know what it meant. If I had to guess, it would be some kind of sex thing, but apparently it just grass. literally meant touching some grass. I don't know what kind of sex stuff you're into that grass is involved, but I'm not going to judge. So. <laughs> I mean, it'd be it'd be a term for like bush that's been trimmed short or something. That's funny. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. We're on top. We're on tar we're on target today. We always are. Yeah. Do the math. Uh, when we were talking about the gossip culture versus law culture in the previous Dunbar episode, do the math says, in his opinion, my, the difference between law and gossip culture is how quickly the power structure changes and how legible the power structure is. I think that's probably a very good summation and also the reason I prefer law culture over gossip culture because I would like those changes to be a bit more deliberate and take longer and uh, be fucking legible. Just all of a sudden, you know, someone being canceled for reasons that 
half the time turn out to be bullshit anyway is bad, in my opinion. I think legibility in, uh, I mean, in legal, in, in law is a necessity, but in just whatever, culture, mm. I, I, you know, social law, right? Mm. It, that, I think that that is a feature rather than a bug. As I think you've articulated in others. Illegibility, you mean, or illegibility? Illegibility in okay, like yeah. current culture, mm-hmm. right? You want it to be too fast for the old people to keep up, so that you can have people to shit on. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but that's a shitty feature, and it should be wor- it should be uh, moved out in the next update. So, yeah. dude, the more gossipy a culture is, I just there was a kid in high school who lost his girlfriend and was shunned because he had the same name of someone else who was getting canceled, and he got canceled by accident. I'm like, dude. That's fucked up. Like, in general, the whole thing is fucked up. But when you didn't even do anything, you just share a name. I remember seeing something when Brett Kavanaugh was nominated for Supreme Court and all that, you know, stuff about him sucking was being, you know, the news of the month. Hmm. Some other, there's at least one or two other Brett Kavanaugh's on Twitter. <laughs> okay. That, you know, had to be like, it's, I'm not that Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. And it's, it shouldn't, you shouldn't need that. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever you are, whatever your problem, you shouldn't be bullying people on the internet, so... So during that Dunbar episode, we did talk a bunch about Dunbar Spheres and being able to contribute to your Dunbar Sphere being good at something. Uh, Imperishable Neat says, somebody on the episode brought up friendship is optimal. Probably me. Okay, excellent. <laughs> I feel like I'm usually the one that brings that up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that fic and fiction, um, friendship is magic in general had a pretty good solution in the form of cutie marks, specifying a pony's special talent, at least in their community. Are they the best in the world at something? Probably not. But are they the best pony in their community at something? Yes. Uh, which is fucking great, and I love that. And also the Friendship Optimal co- post uh, comparison extended on to uh, that Friendship is op- Optimal also regulates ultimate power and status to a friendly AGI monarch who also acts as a personal god ponies can talk to, which, uh, you know, again, is a point for monarchy, I guess, <laughs> if you are yeah. one of those people who likes it. That is the thing that I'm uncomfortable about in that fic, but uh, yep. I do think it's hilarious to suggest that everybody tattoo, like, a pie on their ass if they're <laughs> good at baking. <laughs> it's a different kind of monarch, though, than just, like, a distant king that you don't get to interact with. Cause yeah, I'm much more uncomfortable with, like, human or, like, you know, monarchs that are, what am I trying to say here? Like, some guy... <laughs> even when we you know kind of came to the conclusion that it almost doesn't matter who you pick as a monarch just like sort of grab someone yeah but uh this was an optimizer specifically made to make people happy via friendship and ponies yeah i think if everybody satisfy could, people's values if Sorry. everybody could gossip directly to the monarch then they would be less anti-monarchy well and if like you knew that the monarch could read your thoughts and stuff and you were okay with that, mm-hmm. then that's a different kind of situation. That's just having a god, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> if god's cool, that's great, right? You did have to get consent for her to read your thoughts and well, to modify your values. Yeah, but eventually it got to the point where, you know, the the non-pony world was a post-matrix hellscape, so which was made that way by Celestia, so people would more be, be more willing to give consent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Bit coerced. But it's only coercion because, you know, she really cared and wanted everyone to be happy, so. I mean, that's that's important, right? That <laughs> yeah. she knew what was best. If, if, I know, if no one knows, if, if no one's following this, do check out this story. It's 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 fun and chilling, and, it, you know, this this is the scenario that I find, and I'm not like it, uh, it sounds like I'm, I'm making too strong a claim, like I sound too, I'm trying to sound too smart. <laughs> um, th- th- but to me, this is what I feel like, I, this keeps me up more than being turned into a paperclip. 
Okay. Right. The concern of being turned into a, a pony that loves being a pony is is and obviously the same way as a paperclip, it's hyperbolic, but mm-hmm. that that's more my concern. Not that we're gonna be just ripped apart for atoms, but we're gonna be modified in a way that I wouldn't have agreed with if I knew beforehand what I was signing up for, you know? Yeah. I guess. We should have a whole episode about friendship is optimal, I think. You know, that's actually that sounds like a fun. good solution. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to stop speculating like I was about to and continue on with this. Imperishable Neat also says, In today's complex world, people acquire feelings of high status in incredibly destructive, distorted, dehumanizing ways. Whether through conspicuous consumption, the rat race of the capitalist workplace, the algorithmic hellscape of social media and parasocial relationships, organized religions and cults, political tribalism and conspiracy theories, plain old nationalism and racism, wow, I really should have edited this down, or chasing the actual (laughs) neurochemical rewards through recreational drug use and other altered states of consciousness. And I, yeah, I think this is an absolutely great point. And also, I don't think that this actually gives you a good, long-lasting and sustainable feeling of status that as soon as you, you know, go offline or you've done your dunk and got your likes, then it disappears again, which is why I do think it's important people have real physical, real-world relationships, at least as long as we're stuck in these monkey bodies. Because those seem to be much more durable in the feelings they give you. So you don't have to keep chasing that dragon. Yep. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said for in-person dialogues and relationships and everything. This was like a point made by the anti-mask people during the, the plague times. But like I do suspect there probably was some downside to having everyone's faces hidden for kids during development years. Mm-hmm. I'm not an expert on child development, far like super far from it. I don't know what age kids start to walk or talk, but and I have I have three uh, nibblings at this point. So which nibblings is, is what you call them. It's That's a word cute. Katrina taught me. Oh, yeah. What's it from? Uh, I don't know, but nieces, oh. nieces and nephews, nibblings. It's it's way shorter, way fewer syllables, and I love it. So and cool. it sounds adorable. Yeah. Um, sounds like they're nibbling on your future. You're right. Gendered. I don't know why you need to specify the gender. Well, anything really, but. Yeah. I think, you know, because well, I, I don't know, I guess that maybe having a nephew will be different than having nieces, but not as not so far because the things, excuse me, the, the kid is a month old and I haven't interacted with them yet. So is there a term like that for aunts and uncles? Uh, I'd have to, well, we can invent one. Knuckles. Uh, but knuckles. It already has a <laughs> hmm. Shakespearean we'll, connotation. We'll have to, we'll have to brainstorm that another time. Okay. Zorander, also speaking about uh, Dunbar Spheres, that our technological progress requires more specialization and coordination among specialists than Dunbar's number of people can provide. Money takes over from social credit, which, along with speculation, can produce some truly big winners, which also enhances other important forms of well-being. Uh, which, yeah, I think it's a good point that we're, we're always going to have this conflict as long as we're in a big, complex society with many millions of people that have to coordinate because you just can't have Dunbar's Dunbar sphere things in there. Gonna have to somehow thread that needle, balance the two. I'm not sure what the term is. I mean you can have Dunbar spheres, just it's sort of unfortunate that we have to teach people, you know, that super stimulus is a thing and and unfortunate that there I guess there's like incentives for creating Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and these like fake Dunbar spheres that are actually comparing you against an unrealistic uh i don't know again like the, the thing with people's like perfect family photos vacation photos like they're them at the gym <laughs> curated lives wasn't that also how the japanese companies uh car companies toyota honda ended up taking over the american market because in the american mm-hmm. market the workers were just stamping out the same product like there was no no sense of any I'm helping uh, people. I'm I'm doing something in my Dunbar sphere. Whereas in the Japanese assembly lines, everybody had 
veto power. I could stop the line. Everyone had some sense of responsibility so yeah. people could get to know that what your contribution was. I didn't know that that was responsible for like elevating that company, but, uh, but I could completely understand. I have a new job that I started three weeks ago. Um, feels longer. But I saw one of the best examples of like companies doing things correctly. Uh, we had an issue with... Um, it's a drug company that makes drugs for hospitals, mostly scheduled. And the people that were making the drugs were regularly forgetting to put little petri dishes to test the air quality um, regularly, like I, th I think at 30 minute intervals. And the manager sort of got everybody together in a circle and was like, all right, so we've been having these issues repeatedly. It doesn't name names. I, like most people knew who was responsible for them. It was like, so I, I, what I want to, you know, ask everybody is why are we having these issues? Because we as your bosses, that, that means we as your bosses aren't giving you the resources that you need to do your job, right? And we want to brainstorm together and try to fix this. Mm. And it was just like... Yeah, it made you feel that's... important and included and part of a team. Yeah, and like I just I have so many, you know, counterexamples of everybody playing the blame game and like who's to punish, you know, like let's shame the person who did it. And I think it's super cool for the management to come in and be like this, you know we're responsible for managing you, so this is our fault. Nice. <laughs> so we're not doing our job, right? What can we do to support you more? Yeah. Yeah, that's some solid ownership. You don't typically hear management make any uh, allowances for... It's always... No, usually, it's the children who are wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah. a bad kid. Yeah, yeah no, that job's going to keep me for that and other reasons that they've, like... You know, awesome. I mean, obviously, like, it seems obvious, right? You get more loyalty out of your team and better products going out the door if you treat people like humans but yeah. some companies haven't figured that out it's one of those things that you'd think yeah it comes with a no-brainer but it is not an intuitive lesson somehow for many employers i don't know how they get by i mean it wouldn't be an intuitive lesson for me either necessarily i'd be like i want somebody to make this car door just make the fucking car door for me please why do i have to be your babysitter but then it turns out that actually meaning is very important to people and they want to be valued as humans. And uh, yeah, and I guess that is sort of my job as a manager, which is why I think I'd make a shitty manager. <laughs> well, I think I think just the to, what I mean, I guess, by being obvious is you look around the market and see what other places are doing and like, hey, why do they have employer retention and we don't? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, it's because we suck. Like, th <laughs> that's, that's rarely that's the conclusion <laughs> they come to. But <laughs> Right. Also, the conclusion we suck is not very actionable. It's well, hard we, to say, we, like, suck, we, we should suck, stop sucking. We suck in these specific ways, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Let's take a 10-minute uh, feeling bad about ourselves break. Right. <laughs> Zorander also says that this episode helped me understand the reactions people sometimes have to celebrities. My layman's understanding is that high social status apes generally stay that way by acting well towards those lower down the hierarchy, giving them benefits, food, etc. When that doesn't happen, there will sometimes be banding together to overthrow them. If people see a celebrity as a high-ranking member of their Dunbar sphere and believe that person is selfish or acting in ways that don't benefit them, the vitriol that is expressed towards the celebrity makes a lot more sense to me. They're treating the celebrity as though there is a personal obligation towards them. Hmm. That does remind me of studies they've done on brand, what do you call it, like brand affiliation or brand loyalty, where, for example, if you love Apple, but you, like, I don't know, they, they come out with an ad that you think is really offensive, then... It's like people will generally like always stick to whatever their loyalty to whatever their brand is unless like something personally you know 
unless they feel betrayed by that brand, and then they will completely flip and be like, I was tricked by Apple. Apple's garbage and replacing everything with Windows or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's such a strange thing to understand. What if they come up with a product that offends me, like a computer without USB ports? <laughs> yeah. I mean, or a phone without a phone a, jack. A feeling of personal betrayal. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Or a phone without a home button. I'm, I'm very much like a te like I come off like an old man yells at clouds where somebody works with computer stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I hate like touchless, you know, car interface stuff or not touchless, <laughs> but uh, n n whatever touch screen. Yeah, where's right, the right, touchless right. car interface? Something <laughs> without a a physical feedback. What do they call it? Not somatic. Tactile. Tactile. Yeah, just, just, I want to be able to reach over and turn and feel a click of the dial when uh -huh. I turn the you know the air up or whatever, right? Yeah. But that's a very old person, I guess, thing to say. No, it's, you know what's sexy to say is, no, I want to tell my car, you know, press a button and say, make it 69 degrees. And then it makes it 69 degrees, right? I, I mean, I, I agree with you. And I think, like, design <laughs> blogs and design people would agree with you, too. Design is really important. And a lot of times people just forget that. And things like having tactile feedback is a big deal. It blows my mind. Anyways, one final one that I will bring up is Brooks. I just thought this was a great comment. Not much to say about it. This is the explanation for why you let jocks into Harvard. Being the stupidest nerd at Harvard would cause you to have a mental breakdown. So they replaced that person with someone who can be proud of being good at sports. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I cannot argue yep. with that. <laughs> I, it's like kind of sad, but not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Or kind of sad, but also funny. Anyway. Um, Stephen, you had a counter thesis on anti-deathism that brought up a few points that you thought we should address. Yeah. Um, this was from, uh, shoot, Boyan. But I remember they wrote in with, uh, um, like, what was your best purchase? And you guys did that episode a month or so ago when I was out. Mm -hmm. uh, my quick answer to that is and a nice mattress. I know it's like a, it's probably a cliched answer, but it was actually really worth it. Cool. I think I mentioned that, like, you know, it used to be, I'd wake up and my first, like, sensation of existence of the day would be, like, back pain. Mm. And that's actually a really shitty way to start every, you know, most every day. Yeah. And now that's not the problem. Cool. And it's like, that was worth an absurd, a, a, an expensive purple mattress. So, um, I, I was going to say absurd, but actually it was worth the money. So, yeah. um. You spend a lot of time asleep. Mm. I do. I feel well, like it's a... Uh, yeah, one yeah. of the more like reasonable investments. I'm not sure that was a, 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 a attack on Stephen. I think no, in I general, meant human, you yeah, the, plural generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Stephen. No, 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 no. I the thing is, I, I am able to spend more time asleep now because I can sleep comfortably. Cool. Um, and you know, the sleep I get is better quality, and it turns out that makes your life better. So anyway, mm -hmm. good I like mattress. Stephen also misinterpreted that, but it was just like, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. He didn't say too much, just a lot. So. Um, yeah, I. So it was a it was a rather long email. I don't know how to succinctly summarize it. Boyan was just saying that in the episodes where we've talked about deathism, we kind of have been strawmanning the arguments on the other side. Uh, for example, if you could push a button right now that would make everyone live forever, it would have it could have put, like disastrous consequences for the environment with overpopulation. Potentially, like what if you know that button stops you from dying but you continue to degrade physically <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like some, some of those are, are I think classic counter arguments and there was a good episode of uh twilight zone i think in the 90s and death was played by george casanza uh yeah. and he was just like fuck it i'm done and people are like you know there's like a building that explodes and everyone just comes out screaming in pieces and they're not dying because he's done doing his job that's not the like if if it's obviously terrible that's not the future i envision for being like 
the goal. I think Bojan does, you know, use the not straw man version of, of this where he says that, yeah, people would still be healthy and be able to have full, enjoyable lives. Right. Yeah, no, I was responding just to the general because I've heard that before. Okay. Oh, not dying would suck if you, you know. It's like, yeah. no, I don't want to spend my last 80,000 years in increasing stages of decrepitude. Right. Yeah. Turning I, into a grasshopper. Yeah. I want to, I want to spend the, the next century in centuries or millennia uh, in a healthy meat suit. If I, if I have to have a meat suit or otherwise. Right. Yeah. I'd so. at least be willing to spend a little while like a brain in a jar to wait and see if they come up with robot bodies or not. But yeah, Bojan says at the current point in time, we have to live with massive constraints on all sorts of resources from space to clean water to other material resources. If the button would also magically create enough space and resources so that the current population could be supported, then people would still want to have babies. So now we need a magic button to not only create more resources and space, but also more and more resources and more and more space and so on. Uh, I, really quick, I just love the, because uh, you, you had to gloss over it's for brevity, but the ca characterizing the, the downsides of aging as debuffs is perfect. I'm never going to not think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean... Yes, this is this is a problem that eventually we're going to run into anyway due to the heat death of the universe. That no matter how much we expand and uh, how many resources we can gather, at some point, uh, reproduction, if we continue to grow, uh, then we will run out of resources. But that's not really an argument against death necessarily, as it is an argument against expanding faster than you can support. Can I introduce you to the movie Avengers Infinity War? <laughs> it, it addresses this question. <laughs> this moral this moral quandary. I well, actually yes, I want to bring up That's exactly actually, that because yeah, the, really good. Sorry, go on. Okay, well the other thing he says is uh the argument that societal change is supported by death was dismissed by Eniosh because it's not the optimal way to solve the problem. However, it's not clear to me whether we currently have a faster way that can enact social progress from within and not only from a top-down view. Uh so Basically saying that, yes, exactly, it's important for the old people to die off uh, so that social change can happen. Uh, I, the thing is, with any argument saying that death is necessary because of resource constraints or because social change can't happen with otherwise or scientific progress will slow to a crawl, do the old saying that um, science only changes when the old scientists die off. I forget exactly what the quote is. Like, none of this is a good argument against solving aging and and mortality because if you really need death to be the answer we still have death you can still kill people if there's not enough resources for everyone if you need to kill people to make social change you can still kill people for that like his argument is just that i don't personally want to be responsible for killing people so i'm going to let nature do it instead for some reason i think it's a dumb argument if you need to kill people you can kill people and if you want to make the argument, look, it's only fair that everybody gets an equal shot at life. So after 1,000 years on your 1,000th birthday, then we kill you. You know, that's fine. Make that argument. The, there's or the famous movie about exactly this premise. You, you know? say it can just be random, dispassionate, fair. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Do the Thanos thing. <laughs> yeah. But but if if death is the solution to problems, there's more ways of implementing death than just waiting for people to die of old age. Or accidents, or, or accidents. illnesses. Like, yeah. yeah, no, it's it's a it's fair um, that I because th I do I do sort of view the you know uh, the deathist stance if we want to even characterizing it that way is is derisive and I understand that but I'm okay with it mm -hmm. um, and so I probably don't give it it's steel man shake every time it comes up 
So, um, no, I appreciate the thoughts here, and it's definitely... Uh, I mean, if the problem is social change won't happen fast enough, if old people don't die, we can make a law that old people get killed. <laughs> or just people like, who don't change socially get killed. I, don't, we have I wouldn't an, vote for these laws, but We haven't observed that, though, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, it, it could be... You know, once people start living to be 200, we notice like that society stagnates or something. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we can think of ways to do to solve this, mm -hmm. and it might just be like you're not allowed to be a politician after you are 110. You know, mm -hmm. like or just term limits. Whatever, whenever you want to be a politician, you can only be a politician for 20 years. They actually had that in Three Worlds Collide. There you go. People who were old enough could no longer have any input on how society evolved. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, they 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 could uh, they could advise. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The confessor was allowed to advise, but was not allowed to actually make laws yeah but anyway it's good stuff and bowen we appreciate Bo, Bo Yen. let me know if i'm saying it wrong i appreciate you writing in and this is uh it's not provoking stuff i did so. want to also jump in with i recently heard uh someone calling other people sufferists and so for the first part <laughs> for the first time in my life I, I was actually sympathetic to brian's stance that like there's no such thing as deathism what the fuck are you talking about because i was like there's no such thing as sufferism where people just value suffering for its own sake but then you know I saw the arguments that were being made by, I think it was, I think it was Imperishable Neat. And I was like, hmm, I guess that doesn't sound too far away from actually what some people say. And I could see how it is very parallel to deathism. So I feel a little bit closer to passing an intellectual Turing test for people who don't believe deathism exists. Paul Bloom <laughs> wrote a book recently, and I'm blinking on the title. It has something to do with the value of suffering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, people read the headline and not even like the subtitle. And so, they get, you know, he gets op-eds and newspapers written about, like, you're an idiot. And here's, you know, suffering sucks. I'm in chronic pain. My son died. It's like, no, I'm not talking about that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm talking about, like, why do people do strenuous exercise? You know, why would you try to run for 20 miles without stopping? Yeah. Like, people value that sort of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I value so not wireheading. If that makes me a sufferist, then I'm, you know, <laughs> call it a silly word if you want. But that's still my position. Sufferist and suffragist. Yeah, they're, they're a little too close. Pro-sufferers, I don't know. <laughs> Are anyway. we done with listener feedback? I think so. I appreciate it. This is good. Okay, on to our main topic, getting lucky. Um, and actually, <laughs> before we get to luck itself, we're going to search for some outliers. Because that's, I think that's what luck is mostly about. Uh, we are starting with a post called Searching for Outliers on Less Wrong. He starts out with a anecdote about his own personal life or she possibly i don't even know who wrote this oh ben Kuhn. <laughs> ben Kuhn. okay yeah so he uh wrote 150 blog posts and the results distribution from those were very extremely skewed two made it big on hacker news front page uh after seeing the second post on hacker news dan Lu subscribed and started submitting a lot of his posts uh this caused additional traction which resulted in a first wave of subscribers and uh dan and him eventually became good friends the other 95% of posts were completely forgettable. Uh, and this is a heavy tail distribution. A heavy tail distribution is one where the top few percent of outcomes are a large multiple of the typical or medium outcome. Um, a light tail distribution, on the other hand, uh, are ones where outliers don't matter much. The 1% of tallest people is still close enough to the average person that you can safely ignore them most of the time. By contrast, with a heavy tail distribution, outliers matter a lot. Even though 90% of people live on less than 15000 a year, there are large groups of people making 1,000 times more than that. And uh, the most important part being, a lot of important things in life are outlier-driven, like jobs, employees, or relationships. And of course, the most important thing of all, blog posts. <laughs> <laughs> I did not include that, but yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and just kind of 
priming for the luck stuff, you know, how do you, how do you make an outlier? You know, how, how, like, cause you can't just that's, predict one. Right. It, I mean, well, maybe there's ways to help kind of increase your odds, but there seems to be a heavy luck factor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's keep going here. All right. Uh, heavy tail distributions are unintuitive. People often make serious mistakes when trying to sample for them because one, they don't run off samples. Two, they underestimate how good of an outcome it's possible to get. And three, they find it hard to tell whether they're following a strategy that will eventually work or not. So they get incredibly demoralized. By the way, uh, writing is like this. Yeah. <laughs> Most uh... everything you ever write, and I mean, he specifically writes blog posts, but fiction writing is the same thing. Most everything you ever write will sink into obscurity, which I think is a large part of the reason why people like Stephen King do very well, because he just wrote a fuck ton. He yeah. still writes a fuck ton. It's amazing how much he puts out. And some of it is kind of crap. Uh, he's he's a very talented author. And I think part of that is because of how much he wrote and how much he practiced. But you just keep putting things out there. And some of them are going to be amazing. I was going to draw that parallel with uh, when I was in the mobile games industry. Hmm. And how frustrating it was for the, you know, my team was the production team. So, like, the artists, the programmers, the modelers, whatever. And, like... We were all trying to convince the management that you can't look at the top performing games and then try to copy what they're doing right. or compare, you know, like that. Because a lot of the top performing games were random hits by people like in the Philippines or whatever that were cranking out a mobile game every week. Mm. <sighs> that totally makes sense. And it's just a better strategy to just make a lot of things fast. <laughs> mm -hmm. Steven, you appear to be. I was just thinking about with video games, I was reading about, or, or rather watching a video about, um, like, there was a character in Overwatch that was used by less than half of players or something, was ranked lowly like amongst how many people used it, but amongst elite players, it was used like 75% of the time. Oh, I don't know anything about the game, so I don't know what character it was, but it was because the character was overpowered, but only if you were really good at the game. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of interesting. I'm sure there's an analogy to be drawn from that somewhere in this because it's, it's not enough to have this thing in your arsenal. You need to be really talented to use it and then you can excel, right? Yeah, yeah. from like an instrumental uh, perspective, it seems like you gave this... Oh, I think it was the Derek Severs we talked about a while ago. We talked about changing strategies, which was the sort of like say yes to everything. Yeah. And then after you've reached X point of success, like say hell yeah or no. Yeah, I liked that, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you should, there's also something to be said for being aware that, you, that there are different sort of luck or outlier finding strategies that... You can and should use it for different things at different times. <laughs> the thing that Ben says is the most important thing to remember when sampling from heavy tail distributions is that getting lots of samples improves outcomes a ton. In a light-tailed context, say picking fruit at the grocery store, it's fine to look at two or three apples and pick the best-looking one. It would be <laughs> completely unreasonable to, for example, look through the entire bin of apples for the one apple that's just a bit better than anything you've seen so far. In heavy-tailed context, the reverse is true. Because for the most part, especially like the stuff that's in the bin at the, at the store has already been curtailed to where like there's probably not a ton of like really shitty ones, right? Yeah. So the difference between the best one and the worst one is going to be like the difference between like a 92% paper and a 98% paper, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like they're, they're all A's. It's fine. Just have one, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, says that to have a working process for sampling from a heavy tail distribution, you need to solve two problems. One, a good way of evaluating whether a sample is an outlier Boy, is that hard. And two, a good way of drawing samples. Uh, sampling from a heavy tail distribution can be extremely demotivating because it requires doing the same thing and watching it fail over and over again. 
And here's an interesting point that I want to talk about just for a bit. Trust the process and not take individual failures or even large numbers of failures as strong evidence that your overall process is bad. Uh, and he says the other hard part of sampling from heavy tail distribution is that it's hard to know whether your process is working. And um, <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of people who, again, I don't know, I hate to draw this example, but a lot of people who think they can sing or think they can write or something and then do it a lot, but it's always crap. And how do you tell them move on to something that you are better at? Be or, I mean, there's there's even like... Because uh, they could be saying, no, I'm just drawing from a heavy tail distribution here i need to keep doing the same thing over and over until i finally get one hit i mean i think that there's a uh like how it, do you know your process is any good yeah it, it's possible to slide into that too when you're doing something just totally nonsensible like um you know using fake medicine or something right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's like no i just need to i need even more crystals and then that, <laughs> that'll work right mm -hmm. i just don't have enough crystals yet yeah, yeah. and it's you know sure 100 percent of the time it hasn't worked but that's just i need more data like I, I know that that's not obviously what Ben's, you know, gesturing towards, but this is the kind of, like, uh, whatever shit quote mining that a disingenuous yeah. person could use. This has an obvious failure mode that I don't know if so it's addressed. To take a example that might be too close to home, but uh, I just thought of now as we were recording this, uh, what if, for example, you had produced 166 episodes of a podcast <laughs> and uh, were not yet as big as Joe Rogan, like, do you think, oh, I'm doing it wrong, I should shake up what I'm doing, or do you think uh, I just need to keep doing it? And also, I know this is that's not the reason we do this podcast. We do it because it's a lot of fun, and we think we provide something of value to people who do listen, and that makes us feel good. But, like, if we were someone who was chasing fame through podcasting, at what point would be, we'd be like, we need to change what we're doing? I'm glad you anticipated my first thing, which was the goal was never to do, you know, to compete with Joe Rogan numbers, but... yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what number I would draw, you know, after 20 tries or something, start changing it up, but, like... I don't think 20 tries is enough. That's the thing, is, yeah, I'm not sure what, what magic number I would have, but at some point, well before five years in, I'd be, you know, thinking, okay, it's time to, uh, to change the recipe a bit, right? Do something different. Like, at the 20th episode of the HP Moir podcast, I still had a couple dozen listeners, maybe. It, it wasn't many. I was just doing it because it was fun as hell, and I loved doing it. <laughs> And uh, eventually it exploded, and I was like, holy shit, this is cool. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's why you should only do things that you really enjoy doing. Like, Joe Rogan just loves talking to people. He's innately curious and just wants to hear what other people think. And his own voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, one thing that you could do, too, is, you know, you're not working in isolation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you talk with friends who are working on similar projects or, or have at least like related experience and you can try and get some honest feedback mm -hmm. you know hey what am i what what, what would you do differently here you know do you have any thoughts on this and then that way you're not trying to guess and if you're trying to figure out do i change the recipe at 10 or 20 or 30 episodes or something you can at least get feedback from people and they can help inform you know maybe that's why most bands break up after a year or two if they don't hit it big you're like oh we tried making some songs let's let's this isn't working out. I need to get back to my day job. And then maybe after a year, they form another band with some other friends and eventually they turn 40 and they're like, I'm not too old for the shit. <laughs> that sounds plausible, especially if, you know, the money thing's definitely a factor, right? Like, hey, I, I had enough money to float this, you know, for a while, but I need paychecks again. So later. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Hmm. This reminds me of the whole like explore, exploit problem. Mm -hmm. Trade off. 
it's just really hard to know if your process is working. And I don't think he gives a good way to figure out if your process is working. He says something about first principles, but to me that sounds basically like intuition. And the people who end up having the best intuition on this are the ones that are going to do the best, but that's not entirely actionable. Maybe hang out with other people that have done well so that you can pick up from them good intuitions. But that's hard because people who are successful already have a lot of demands on their time and attention. You can't just go over and hang out with Joe Rogan, you know? Yeah, I I won't fault him for not answering that question because that's not really the goal of the post. And also that's a really hard topic. I don't mm-hmm. think we've solved this yet. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if this, is, if this is a solved problem, right? Well, the second part of the podcast will go into possible solutions. It'll go towards... Um, you know, ideas, right? Yeah, Thing, yeah. Things that you can do to increase the odds. But like, yep, yeah, this isn't, maybe, maybe it is more like, um, you know, maybe, maybe, well, certainly I think success and stuff like this is more like poker and less like checkers, you know? Mm-hmm. Like checkers is a, is a solved game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, poker, I mean, there's, it's all odds, right? And you can, yeah. you can do what you can to increase your odds, mm-hmm. but, and how much do you bet? So I think that's, that's a, a way of thinking about it. Ben says they subtly hear is that the traits that make a candidate a potential outlier are often very different from the traits that would make them pretty good. So improving your filtering process to produce more pretty good candidates won't necessarily increase the rate of finding outliers and might even decrease it. Because of this, it's important to filter for maybe amazing, not probably good. Hmm. Which is, he draws a direct parallel to venture capitalists funding projects saying that searching for uh, probably good is less less successful than oh, this could maybe be amazing and you know just funding a lot of the maybe amazing things yeah most of my knowledge of venture capitalism comes from watching shark tank hmm. and uh and they fund a new thing every week right i don't, I don't think it's like a rule that they have to hmm. um but most well no i don't think that i don't think they do anyway because they get you know four or five people pitching and there's always five-ish sharks mm-hmm. and they don't always all make a deal okay. um a lot of people leave without getting one, so. Um, but it, I think it is like, oh, you found a new thing to exploit here, right? Mm-hmm. Or you, you're doing a thing that everyone else is doing, but yours is better. Um, it's just more like, really, you know, I guess, I don't know. I think, I, I think I'm, it's not exactly fictional evidence, but it's dramatized evidence. Yeah. So I don't think yeah, I'm, I'm I was thinking well equipped to TV, answer, yeah. They're more likely to choose things that, that are cool and new and wow. Sometimes. Than a better mousetrap or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the best investments, I think, was the, uh, well, the squatty potty was, <laughs> you know, like it. that stool that goes underneath your toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, actually, Lori invested in that and in Scrub Daddy. It's like a sponge that you can now find at, like, Safeway. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's got a little smiley face on it, and it's actually grippy, and, like, you can put spoons through, this, through the mouth part of it that, like, fits well. But it gets mm-hmm. it gets hard when it's put under cold water, so you just run it under the cold tap, and it's good at scrubbing again. Mm-hmm. And it gets soft when it's under under hot water, and you can like get it into a glass and whatever. Oh. It's super handy. They're like six bucks, and uh, that I think was the single most lucrative investment on the history of the show. Wow, was like a sponge, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's it doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be the coolest, hottest thing. It can be just like the better mousetrap, like you said. So yeah, that's interesting though. Yeah. Well. Uh, (laughs) I mainly brought this up as a precursor to this post on luck, which I find incredibly fascinating because I agree that luck is, I mean, it's somewhat random, but I've always found that some people just tend to get a lot more lucky than others. And how is that? And I think that it's a, it's a thing you can cultivate. Mm -hmm. Or anti-cultivate, like 
uh, you often see the example of the self-fulfilling prophecy, like the person that's just like, well, nobody likes me anyway, so I'm not even going to bother mm. going out to make friends. Yeah. Anti-cultivate's a good word for it. <laughs> and that actually fits perfectly with his first example. Because uh, I, I was in that picture and I, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I get what he's talking about and this is talking to me. Well, this comes from a Twitter thread uh, from George Mack. And it's, is it George Mack? Hold on. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, and it's a number of quick pieces of advice about how to increase your personal luck and just have more of it in life. And since everyone would rather be lucky than good any day of the week, uh, this is, I'm hoping, very cool advice. It's basically a way of increasing your ability to get outliers in heavy tail distributions. How to get lucky without being rich. Yes. And, you know, I guess at the... At the top, just as like a quick caveat, I don't know how much of this is like a lot of it is super intuitive and awesome, and I like it. Mm -hmm. But you know, some of it feels like it might be like edging into like the you know, a little bit of like the secret. Well, not 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 quite that. I wasn't gonna lean unfortunately that that I wasn't gonna be that hard on it. I was gonna say like the uh, like how to have how to make friends and influence people or like the four hour work week, right? Mm -hmm. Which are kind of like watered down versions of the secret uh, but you know there's no magic involved so there's like no magic here but uh i don't know how much of it is like you know i don't know i guess what we say, we say it's advice and it's definitely i want to say it's good ideas okay right uh, that's, yeah. that's what i wanted to, to that was my nitpick is there a big difference between good ideas and advice i don't know but for some reason i like good idea more than uh good suggestion would be more than, yeah, than maybe advice. like a I thought you, advice is just suggestions. These, these are fun things to read, and you might maybe want to try some of them, but not like you're you're doing it wrong if you're not doing it this way, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Uh, your mileage may vary. These have not been, you know, tested by a large sample size. So, you know, use at your own discretion. Maybe, maybe you know, that sort of disclaimer. Yeah. Whereas, like, advice might be like, oh, your door is squeaky, try WD-40. And, like, that will almost probably definitely solve your problem. Oh, right? okay. I see what you're saying. That advice really is much more individual action to solve an individual problem or i don't know if i'm i don't want to i guess you're right because that sounds like too nitpicky of a definition and it might take us rabbit holing too long but mm. i feel like we're meddling like, too yeah. much and we should just start yeah. talking about the thing <laughs> right that, that, okay that, that's my fault getting into the actual thing the first thing he suggests is the luck razor uh should we just take turns going into these yeah, yeah. Sure. Th this one was one that i felt like I, I read the first one i was like oh this is great i'm gonna have to read all these sent it to my uh uh my wife sounds so grown up um <laughs> Sent it to my wife, and I was like, oh, check these out. What do you think? And, um, so anyway, luck razor. If given two options, pick the one that has more luck potential. Example, cocktail party versus watching Netflix. Which one has the highest potential for future luck? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Run equal A-B decisions through this razor. Uh, yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah. So most nights I sit at home watching TV, not networking, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I, my odds of meeting somebody that's going to change my life are zero most days. Right? Yes. <laughs> I particularly uh, was reminded in this point, did you read uh, Scott Alexander's, was it a post or just a thing? I don't know, uh, about <laughs> micromarriages? Uh, yeah. He So he drew an analogy to micromorts, which uh, for people, I, did this actually enter the, the rationalist lexicon around the time of COVID? No, it was before COVID. Yeah, it was definitely. way before COVID. Yeah, 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 no. But it definitely went up during COVID. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> the micromort concept being something that like, if you know that something gives you a one in a million chance of dying because of that is the way it's always worked out in the past you can count that as one micromort uh and you want to keep your micromorts low because having lots of micromorts mean you have an increased chance of dying and people don't want to die generally uh and he extended that to you know you, you can think of various other things that have low chances of happening but that 
add up if you do them a lot in this way. And his particular example was the micromarriages. He said he spent many, many years doing lots of things that had some potential of leading to a marriage, but never actually, you know, did until this one time. I think his example was he went to a part. Well, I don't want to give too detailed examples here, uh, but it was a it was a party unusual party situation that he probably wouldn't have normally gone to and that's where he met the person who later became his wife and he was like i just racked up because you know your chance of finding your future wife in any individual party are very low but i just racked up enough micro marriages that one of them you know they finally added up into an actual marriage they're higher than they are sitting home watching netflix exactly yeah <laughs> yeah so all those that, that idea of micro marriages or or other things that increase just the chances of something randomly good happening to you are uh good do those things yes i do also want to point out that uh this is one of those things that's easier when you're in good health and younger and all those other things because uh the more broken down you are the harder it is to leave your house and do something rather than lay and around and watch netflix and in, in a way it's kind of like self-fulfilling and builds on itself because the more you go out the more you will have stamina and build up energy for going out and ability for going out but also you know when when you're in poor health you just literally can't and going out more isn't going to give you more of that well you don't have to be out necessarily you just have to be doing something social yeah. right so if, if going downtown isn't in the cards but going into a discord server is you know whatever twitch stream what i don't know some social event right mm -hmm. you know that sort of stuff this right. seems like another one that would benefit from a strategy change too because you were saying like yeah it's it's easier to do this when you're younger and have more energy it also makes more sense because unless you're like in your 40s and you want to have friends and a partner but you're single like by that point you know like or rather yeah it doesn't matter what age you are like if you haven't reached your goals do more of the thing if you do in fact have a like active social life and a partner and a dog like mm -hmm. then you can just sort of fuck yeah or no this yeah <laughs> but doing more sampling can be great I'll, I'll read this next one i oh, oh actually just just before we go on i i i sometimes wonder what the hell why humans are attracted to what they're attracted to because i don't know i'm a weird person that thinks about things like that but health seems to be one of the most attractive things in general and I guess at least part of that is because you have more energy for doing things that might end up getting lucky and being very successful when you're healthy. I don't want to put on the Evo Psych hat, but isn't that super, super obvious? <laughs> yes, but not to me, because I'm stupid. <laughs> no, no, but it doesn't have to be obvious to you. It has to be obvious to your inner monkey, Yeah, right? I just... Most, a lot of my inner monkey's uh, thought processes are opaque to me. Yeah. But like the reason, like, why is this, you know healthy looking young person more attracted to me than this like really sick looking old person yeah. and it's like because that person would make a better mate for my for my offspring right i just think it's incredibly unfair like i hate that like when you're young and you're attracted to young people that's fine but when you're older and you're still attracted to young people you're like this is stupid bullshit first of all young people are dumb <laughs> and, and second of all why why is this dumb monkey brain get in line because you weren't supposed to live this long god damn it it's only optimizing for that narrow period yeah. You know, yeah, no, it is, it's not fair. Our brains kind of suck in some ways. People and I mean, like, I still like people my age, but I had relationships with people a decade older than me in the past, and now that would be less likely. Hmm. I'm realizing you're almost 10 years older than I am. Yeah. So. Well, not realizing, just <laughs> noting that in my brain. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know, but yes, the next one. JC, why don't you read this one? Sure. Get good at marketing. It's the ultimate meta skill. It crosses over to every area of life. 
and I thought this was funny. If you can create a persuasive ad or landing page, you can create a persuasive CV or job interview. Mm-hmm. That That's funny for me because I feel like the latter things are easier than the first. <laughs> but uh, then there was just life hack. Most people are awful at marketing. I think that, that last one is very important to point out. It might be much easier to get better than average than you think because I know I'm absolutely fucking awful at marketing and I also kind of hate marketing, which is why I've never tried to get better at it. But... I guess if most people are awful, just a little bit of effort could mm-hmm. produce some big dividends. I like that line too, because it's basically like life hack. Most people suck at this. It's basically saying this is low hanging fruit. People. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, just try and do a little better at this. Mm-hmm. I do think it's funny that if you can create a pers- persuasive ad or landing page, you can create a persuasive CV or job interview. Mm-hmm. Who's made an ad or landing page? Almost nobody. Anyone right? who has. Well, not anymore. I was going to say anyone who has their own blog made a landing page, but now that they're Substack, you don't have to do that anymore. Or WordPress would basically make it for you. You know, yeah. like you had to put the picture on there or whatever, but... With WordPress, you had to put it in some effort. You had to sure. find the picture, find the uh, initial theme that you're using. Yeah, valid. I feel like that was just sort of specific to the person who wrote this or maybe the group of people this person hangs out in. <laughs> or MySpace, you know, that was your landing page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What song you chose. Right. You know, um, just as a, a you know, to, to name drop for this... Does anyone else think David Youssef when they see this this particular? Uh, yes, I think this is. I I feel like he's that maybe maybe George knows David and he's thinking of him when he wrote this one. Like <laughs> like this is this is. Uh, I feel like his arena, right? Yeah, Youssef is the guy that is like, "Hey guys, get better at marketing. It's not that hard, and it's huge." And he, he's like, he realized this like ten years ago. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, you guys are all finally catching up to the party. I'm glad I've got ten years ahead of you guys. <laughs> I guess speaking of being bad at marketing, I have written a fiction book uh lovecraftian horror in second century rome maybe read that if you're interested in it it's called what lies dreaming and i'll post a link also i have my own Substack where every few days i just usually i just post random things that i think are interesting that i've been thinking on it's not too deep or anything every now and then i'll post a screed about something but <laughs> uh yeah those those are two things i do so hey that that was my shot at marketing i i i'm you really proud of the book and you know the the substack is fun unlike your previous blog uh the rss actually works in substack ah, so i get emails cool. every time you post which is actually helpful awesome because the alternative was just like remembering to go to your blog every six months because i am bad at you know keeping track of what part of the year it is yeah. so i was finally convinced by kaplan uh i think it was brian kaplan who wrote saying most people who blog should go to Substack. It's just better in all these ways. Plus, there's networking effects where people on Substack can help other people on Substack. And <laughs> seriously, unless you're Paul Graham, go on Substack. And I was like, well, fucking if Kaplan is saying it, I guess I really should. It might be one of those things, too, where like Substack started out as like the refuge for people who, got, you know, who, de- who were deplatformed elsewhere, right? And so the more people that are there doing things that aren't like just people who got deplatformed, it's like it brings sanity to the place and then it raises the... Or rather, lowers the threshold for people who are like willing to get look at the platform, right? I guess, so. but I don't think it started out that way. Like anyone can go there, but like it started out with major names from from big journalism organiz- uh big journalist places. Huh. I guess I heard about Substack it in the context was like, of... hey, we'll give you a whole lot of money because it looks like you're leaving your place anyway. Oh, okay, yeah, or that like, makes sense. Tiabini, is that how you pronounce the name? Ty Tybee uh, left from Rolling Stone. Sullivan left from what? The Intercept. Or Atlantic, something like a bunch of big name people just went over to Substack. That's cool. Okay, yeah, yeah my my background on it was wrong. Yeah, it's it was both. I mean, like yeah, a little column A, little column B. Yeah. Okay, well, cool. All right, well, I guess I'll get this next one. Reverse prison advice. Wait, oh, this did is Stephen cool get one. one? Uh, yeah, I did the first one. 
Ah, okay. Go on. The, <laughs> the cliche advice to a new prisoner is to punch the biggest person in the prison. Flip this on its head. Find the best person you know and help. Punch him in the face now. <laughs> <laughs> Share their projects, give feedback, make intros, etc. Uh, I love this advice. It is how I've done a number of things. I uh, Just volunteering in general is great times. I, I've volunteered at a number of conventions. It's always awesome. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think this is great. It gets you involved in fun projects. I've also benefited from this a lot. A lot of people uh, helped contribute to the HPMR podcast by giving their voices to it, which was a huge help to me and uh, did, did lead to some um, awesome knock-on effects. Jace... I know you because you were like, hey, uh, you're cool. Let's talk. Also, I can do logo stuff. And uh, I was like, that, neat. Uh, I'd also like to talk with you. You sound interesting. And hey, can you do a logo for us? Yep. That was a while ago now. I ingratiated myself into your circle by offering, by trying to do a voice for the podcast. Oh, yeah. And so. doing a voice, not just trying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and doing then... three voices, in fact, although one of them was later replaced. That's right. But yeah, you know, it's... And it's also fun and rewarding in and of itself, you know? Yeah. So that, that's, 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 that's the big that's part. That's the sign of, yeah, good social advice is, like, even if it doesn't, like, win at the goal, it was fun to, you know, half the reward was just doing it. Exactly. You know, like, you know, the luck raiser of Cocktail Party versus Netflix. Like, if you hate going out to parties, you know, this one isn't for you, and that's fine, right? Mm-hmm. But if you like socializing and you just need, like, a nudge to do it, which and that, if that nudge can be, this could actually make my life better, mm-hmm. Right then that might help you to do the thing you actually want to do rather than do the easy thing, which is go home and watch American Dad reruns on Hulu, right? I so. think this one is really, really good advice for introverts because the vast majority of the people that I see uh, volunteering at geek cons and other things are people who are like just, they're, they're nerds. They're introverted. They're not that great at socializing. But when you have a task to do and a team to do it with, then you have an excuse to talk with someone. You have to be around them because you're working on this thing. You build relationships. You feel like you're valued in a place instead of feeling like you're the person nobody wants there because yeah. you're awkward, you know? And it, it it just helps a lot. I think I used to do, or I guess still do, is like, as an introvert going to parties, I would like, ahead of time, ask the host if they need help like preparing things or like, mm-hmm. yeah, just go, I don't know, like, hey, does like, anyone want to do a pizza run or something? Just like continually find projects to do to like help the party. Because yeah, it gives me like a non-awkward task to be doing and yeah, yeah. It, it, lots of benefits. Channel your inner Hufflepuff. That's a really smart move. Mm-hmm. I need to think about that. I like calling it Hufflepuffing. Yeah. <laughs> I can work it. that is helpful to people. This one might be Ravenclawing. Uh, smart <laughs> friends raise it. <laughs> if you're unsure about a small bet, but your smart friends are sure, take the bet. If wait for the rest of so- if you wait for the rest of society to confirm it, you'll be too late. Mm-hmm. Side so Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bitcoin uh, is probably the you know the chief example there right mm-hmm. ethereum maybe litecoin but you know the, the early cryptos the early big ones but well the ones that got big right yeah yeah um i put a thousand into um prospera is that what it's called the 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 charter city i only did doge as my alternative <laughs> coins so, uh, okay yeah. and right now that's looking kind of shaky because a socialist government just took over the country and they're like we're gonna get rid of all these charter cities that we do and not doing it anymore but Prospera looks like they might still have some strong legal footing. I don't know. We'll see. Is this that bank? No, no, no. Uh, no. It's that uh, charter city in, God, was it Honduras? Uh, I think so. It was one of the Central American countries. Interesting. I don't remember which one now, which makes me really embarrassed because I, you know, invested in it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. You, you, I, you, you were informed when you made the investment. You don't need to keep informed, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's true. And, you know, I it, it may go to nothing because of the damn commies. <laughs> 
It is in Honduras. It is in Honduras. Okay, cool. But if nothing else, I feel good about doing that because I took a risk that might pay off really big. Who knows? How does that actually turn around to make money? I know this is sidetracking, but... Uh, because the valuation... I don't know. Ask the person who gave me the advice. But it's, but it's, a, <laughs> it's a charter city, it which is, I guess yeah. I don't know quite, the, quite know what that means, but people pay to live there? Is that how that works? There is a lengthy Astral Codex 10 post about this, which I would probably just have to link you because it is long and uh, I don't remember all the details. That's totally fine. I'll yeah. Google it or check out the post. I'll, I'll find it. The, right. the point is basically people are allowed to do things which often are regulated so much that it's too expensive to do them. And, you know, you, they, they need money to start up so you can buy a small share in it. And I can dig it. Yeah. If it gets big, then that small share becomes w- worth a whole lot. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's investment stuff. I just wonder how this what this business model was. Yeah. But, okay, so I had to Google this because the second part of this was Two other Twitter handles told uh, George Mack about the Bored Ape Yacht Club, and he ignored <laughs> it, and apparently regrets that. So it's a limited NFT collection, so that's all I know. Gosh, their, I hope they got out page. of that before everything crashed. Unclear. This this uh, thread here is from late May, early June, right? So uh, Let's date our podcast. The price of Bitcoin is now just under 21000 Good God. Mm. Like... Wasn't it just like three, four years ago, sixty-five k? Uh, just six months ago, it was sixty k. That's uh, that's nutter butters. Yeah, that's a steep decline. Kind of uh, oh no, not sixty thousand. It was almost fifty thousand. Sorry, but still, still, yeah. The silly thing is, last time I bought Bitcoin, it was at six thousand. So even after this huge crash, I'm up quite a bit. Oh, if I ever sell, yeah. I mean, I don't have a full Bitcoin because I couldn't afford a full one, but I have a small fraction of a Bitcoin that's still up a lot over what I bought it at. That's solid. Yeah. I bought Dogecoin like the week before it exploded in January, whatever year that was. Nice. And I bought fifty bucks. Okay. And it was like seventeen fifty, mm-hmm. like ten days later. And how much and, was that worth? I mean, uh, oh, there was it went it went from like zero point zero zero nine cents to seventy cents. But when did you buy it? At zero zero nine. Oh my god! Right. So so I made like I don't know seventeen hundred dollars, right? Mm-hmm. But then on the while it was climbing, I kept buying more. Oh no! I'm like, oh sh-. well, I'm like I'm I'm, I'm going to get on this, and you know. Uh, keep keep going all the way to the moon. <laughs> so I sold off everything, and I'm even. Okay. Uh, on well, I sold off all all of the all of my buy-in, and mm-hmm. so now the now that it's you know tanked and and worth shit again, I'm still up. A, you know, everything now is just profit. Okay. Right? So okay. for a while, it could have been a lot more profit. Yeah. Um, I've lost no money at this point, so that's yeah. good. Um, Dogecoin was always a meme. I'm I'm shocked anyone bought it. Me too, but you know, not complaining. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was the smart friends razor, and that's that's good advice. Trust your smart friends. I need to get in on some of these things that people tell me about. So, mm. hard part about that is having smart friends. That's part of the networking. That's part of the other these other goals, right? So, right. Yeah. These other these other action items. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those. Okay, so pursue high level leverage relaxation. Uh, rank all the relaxation activities on this one: how much it relaxes you, and two: how quick it takes to do. Find the highest leverage one across both scores. Do it regularly. It is hard to notice lucky opportunities when cortisol is through the roof. And uh, that cortisol one's calling me out, personally. <laughs> cortisol is the stress hormone that makes you feel bad. So you want to get rid of that by relaxing. Yeah. How much it relaxes you and how quick it takes to do. All right, so I already know my number one. 
<laughs> and it's not sex, actually, because I, I, the the way you How laugh. Quick is it? Yeah, my first thought was, you know, okay. So no, what's what's your? What's it's your cuddling. Oh, that's Aww. not. Yeah, and that that can be thirty seconds. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to at least be a few minutes. No, but, same here. Yeah, but yeah. like you know, just just a good like thirty second close your eyes hug. You know that that could be super relaxing. Yeah, yeah. This I, is idiot. I should have not shown. Aw. Secretly cuddling. You know, my favorite cuddling is like lying down, having most of the clothes off, maximum skin-on-skin contact, and just being like close. That's awesome. I don't actually think sex is all that relaxing because it is, you know... It's strenuous. It's strenuous. It takes time. It's a little bit stressful. It, you know, it's it's not something you want to skimp on, in my opinion. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, the payoff is huge, so I ain't complaining about it, but yeah, it's not... Yeah, especially the end part. (laughs) 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 But But it's not like, you know cuddling in terms of just sheer relaxation and and getting like, rid of that cortisol for me this would be like looking at lizards <laughs> like i went to the pet store yesterday to just get some feeders for my lizards and i just got off work and i have had worked monday through saturday mm-hmm. like long shifts and i was like just suddenly i grabbed some random guy and i like dragged him over i was like look over here they have baby axolotls and he was just like oh my god they're Aww. so cool it's <laughs> just talking to random strangers like mm-hmm. When my wife was a wee baby and she would have difficulty, whatever, relaxing, mm-hmm. her mom would take her for drives. And I'm trying to remember, well, I don't know, they, I guess they must have been near, uh, not an aquarium because that's like a place where you pay to go look at fish, a place that sells fish. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to like pay to enter. You just walk around and look at the fish tanks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, free pet store. Yeah. Or, or, no, sorry. Free zoo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a free zoo where you can look at fish. <laughs> but uh, she would carry, uh, her mom would carry her through this. And just that, that would be relaxing and she'd fall asleep. And now she finds, you know, fish tanks and that sort of stuff super relaxing. Cool. It was, it was ingrained into her from babyhood, so. Do you know what your number one is? No, I, I need to think, think about this. Yeah. Um, I'll try and put it on the back burner and multi-thread through the rest of this conversation and see if I can come up with one. But I think actually taking 10 minutes doing this by, you know, pencil and paper would actually be worth my time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll, yeah, I'll think of, about it. I want to make a matrix of them and then just pin them to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and put like a big blinking light on it. I'm really bad at self care. Taking a walk is probably really high up there for most oh, yeah. people. If not at the top, then close to it. It's amazing how well it actually works. A good like decompression activity for me during a work day is doing the dishes. Okay. <laughs> it's like probably my favorite chore. Okay. It's it's rewarding. You get like the thing done, everything's out of the way, it's clean. It's not like a you know, if you're vacuuming regularly you don't notice when you vacuum like things shouldn't look that much different. Mm. And so, like, that's not very rewarding. But it leaves the lines. It does leave the lines like a freshly mowed lawn. You're right. Yeah. 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 I love the lines. That's why I could never get one of those fucking stupid Roombas that bounces all around. Oh, I kind of like the chaotic Roomba lines, actually. (laughs) Have you seen a lawn that's mowed that way? It just makes you want to pull your hair out. (laughs) 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 Somebody who just goes all over the place. I'm so scared of the idea of a Roomba lawn mower. It it seems like just a horrifying accident waiting to happen. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's... a guarantee some kid's just gonna get thrown into that thing like a wood chipper so all right well uh no i read that one i think didn't i no 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 that was okay so i am reading the next one (laughs) sorry avoid boring people avoid people that bore you avoid being the boring person in the room avoid yourself (laughs) be interesting and seek interesting friends people will remember you when they have an interesting opportunity uh i don't i don't know what to say about this aside from yeah that's awesome i guess the harder part is avoiding the people that bore you because it can be rude sometimes. One of the nice things, I guess, about parties is that there's snacks and drinks around. Yeah. And whenever you're starting to feel bored, you're like, I'm going to go refill my drink or I'm going to go get a snack and then just don't come back. 
Well, and then there's often limited seating, so it's like, oh, look, spot to sit opened up, or I'm tired of sitting. It's just, you know, you like to move around. I think that's acceptable at parties. Yeah. And um, you do get to choose which people you, like, allot your time to. Mm-hmm. I think the hard part is, being, is number two, avoid being the boring person. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I guess you could be the person wearing a wizard's hat and nothing else, and yeah. people talk about that, but uh, maybe find more subtle ways to be unboring. I think there's... A number of ways to easily avoid that just with a little bit of prep time. I mean, just being a rationalist in a room full of muggles is enough that if you need to, you can just break out something like, you know, I think death sucks. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're not the boring right. person. You know, all of your idiotic, all of your idiotic intuitions about, like, uh, you know, solving the homeless crisis or um, whatever... Uh, Putting right. caps on uh, rent rent controlled apartments or, or rent apartment you know, rent rates, right? Those are all wrong. F- you know, fight me. That's a way to get people's attention. <laughs> you may not so. want to start right with that. <laughs> Maybe you start with Thanos did nothing wrong, because <laughs> at least then it's fictional and people won't get all you know upset. That's yeah. fair. You might look like an edge lord though. Uh, there's also I don't know like, but you can just prepare knowing a few things that you've done in your life that are generally unusual and interesting and mention those. I don't Step know. one, do those. Step two, talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or just, you know, being yourself, there's a temptation to kind of not be the weird person in the room, especially if you're meeting new people. Mm-hmm. I have to like, I had to push against that for a bit at work. Uh, yeah, you guys have selves pressure. that you are? Weird people are interesting. And, uh, if you're trying to conform and be like everyone else, that's boring. In my opinion, anyway. No, no, I think that, I mean, that's the point. You, you don't want to fit the mold, right? I think the easiest way to not be the boring person is to have something you're really excited about like just when you think about it you get enthusiastic and i mean maybe it's something that other people find boring i know i've talked with people who are very enthusiastic about things that i find boring and i usually will move away if that happens but you know it's rare because oftentimes enthusiasm is contagious i love hearing people's like rants about their special interests they get so cute when they're all excited about whatever ships or something (laughs) the only two things that i find very boring that people are often excited about is their dreams because that's like their actual literal dreams that they right. had last night. Cause everyone thinks somebody else's dreams are boring. They just don't ever talk about it. It's dreams. so hard to convey yeah. why it was a good dream. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and drug use because Same. drug use is basically just <laughs> dreams on order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know you have a great time with these drugs. I do too, but that's yeah. That's not a bad way to put it actually. You know, like I knew people in high school who are like really into weed. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is a really boring interest. Remember there's an episode of in season three of what we do in the shadows. There's another energy vampire and his thing was talking about weed to bore people. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I can dig that. And as far as people's enthusiasm, here's a piece of, you know, these are like interesting suggestions or whatever. If I'm going to nail down what I think is good advice, never shit on somebody when they're expressing enthusiasm for mm. something. Right. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's something stupid and dangerous, you know, or whatever, like that's different. I love driving you know. around 90, to, yeah. you know, miles per hour no seatbelt yeah if then they're maybe like if they're doing something but you express know, disapproval with the with the obvious caveats if someone just like is really interesting that you find something find super boring don't give them a bad time for it yeah let them yeah. love their stuff if someone really loves 50 shades of gray or whatever don't shit on it good example mm. yeah it's like not my not my cup of tea but i'm glad you like it man you know? yeah yeah exactly all right so this one is perfect because it applies to me uh zero uh dms are the hack of the century most DMs, zero value, asking for help, looks like a scam or time sink. Lucky DMs, provide value, give help, look legit. DMs in this context is direct messages because he's posting on Twitter, but basically it means any individual reach out, like a direct email or something yeah. along those lines. And so it applies to me, zero, because I'm not, because you're right, I didn't think about email. And that is that is actually a smart way to do stuff, yeah. right? This um, is something I keep wanting to, like, 
uh, I keep wanting to do and then forgetting, but I know that, like, I have, like, questions that I want to ask book authors, or, you know, uh, I keep, like, sort of remembering the advice that, like, you know, like, it costs almost nothing to just, like, ask the author of this book something, and then, like, it might end up being this really awesome conversation. Yeah. And if they don't answer, who fucking cares? <laughs> That's the thing is, I think you put it really well when you got Dan Carlin to do the voice of Enosh Brodsky in <laughs> Rationality. Yeah. was, like... You, because I asked, like, dude, you got Dan Carlin, and mm-hmm. you were like, yeah, all, all the worst thing that happened is he would have not said nothing, right? Yeah. Or said no. Yeah. And uh, it's a quick thing. You d- you don't you also don't want to compose a an essay for them to read anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take you that much time to give them a succinct couple of sentences. Yeah. And then they don't have to spend a long time reading it, and they can just thumbs up or thumbs down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I got Zoe Chase the same way. She's not nearly as big of a name, obviously, but like I was a big fan. I, I reached out to a number of people, and most of them just said, you know, no, but thank you. Uh, several just didn't reply at all, and at the time I was like, oh, what, you're too good to even reply no to me? <laughs> but that's because I was a douchebag that was full of myself after Dan Carlin said yes. <laughs> Julia Galef has ignored all the opportunity, all the, I think, three times I've emailed or messaged her various platforms to uh, try and get her on the show. So. Yeah, and then after that, I, I felt really bad. Like a year later, I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I got so up in my ass that I was upset a famous person didn't reply to me. Though, Yeah, just... Just uh, reach out if they return if they reply they reply if not you know these people are very fucking busy and have a lot of people reaching out to them yeah and even to, just replying sorry no can't is often more than they can handle too also, if like a thousand people do that it also opens up a communication channel right if you reply yeah and so it's like maybe you don't want like them to say that's no problem you know maybe another time and like then you have to like weasel out of like doing it at all right because mm-hmm. you really just don't actually want to is so. it just me or has there lately been more scams about someone texting like hey anna that's a great idea uh or something and then you reply back wrong number not anna they're like oh okay sorry about that glad you were really nice and you reply back yeah hey no problem and then they're like oh hey as long as we're talking <laughs> something something i'm like oh my god this is a scam i've had like four of those in the past few weeks i haven't had one of those yet okay yeah, i haven't noticed an increase I've got a couple of nice voicemails because I don't really answer the I don't answer if it's I don't recognize the number if I'm busy, mm-hmm. and I'm like oh I'm so sorry I was off by one number and that's like they leave a yeah. voicemail saying that yeah, yeah that yeah. sounds actually like a person though and like what am I going to call them back and say no problem like so I think that if they're leaving a voicemail it might be a person or a pre-recorded message because I don't actually listen to it I read the transcript so yeah. um, I just get suspicious about someone who when I engage like keeps pulling far after the conversation should have been like. Sorry, glad you're not mad. Gonna go try to reach out to the actual person now. Toes. And I want to clarify, because you're talking about, you know, uh, feeling like annoyed that people didn't reply or whatever. And I mentioned Julia Galef has ignored my three <laughs> times to get her on. Uh, this is not... You are directly calling out Julia Galef. No, no. I, I, I'm saying the opposite, that I totally get it. And mm. no pressure, not like no hard feelings. I'm just saying that like, this is an example of like, worst case scenarios, you get ignored. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, all I did was waste a grand total of five minutes across three years. Yeah, so I yeah. had that time to spare. <laughs> like, Okay. Uh, I believe we are up to Jace again. Yes. Yeah, another good one for me. Huh? <laughs> Avoid toxic people. It's hard to notice lucky opportunities when you're arguing or replaying arguments in your head. Toxic people are to luck what water is to fire. Mm. And can confirm. That's, that's what I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I think this is particularly hard for people who have like high scrupulosity or mm. conscientiousness just like toxic people will find someone who wants to help and do good things this is almost like earlier it said you know reach out and help people who are doing things 
there are toxic people who will latch onto someone who is this kind of person reaching out, helping, doing things, and just suck absolutely everything they can out of them. Yeah, and... that's why you need that secondary, the advanced Hufflepuff skill of recognizing those people and yeah. having really firmly established boundaries to keep them from manipulating you. Because they'll take everything and you won't have any extra time or energy to spend on going out to parties or sending direct messages to people or whatever else. That's a good point. And yeah, you're right. That is the, the be careful mode of being super eager to help, right? Some people are all too eager to accept your help, right? And not just yeah. that. Like if sometimes they'll take your help, sometimes they just want your engagement. And so you get stuck in weeks of, you know, back and forth drama processing things and i mean yeah sure that's important especially for people who you are in a dedicated relationship with that you think that's important but if that's all it is all the time with someone like it's just taking up a lot of energy for nothing you've mentioned this i think on previous episodes you used the word scrupulosity in a context i'm not familiar with but i have seen on your blog but i don't know if i like i missed the memo if this is if this usage is circulated the rationalist sphere or something yeah it, um uh, few years ago oh well i, I yeah. missed it do you have a quick uh just because i i like it and it's an interesting interesting subject and i might not be the only person who doesn't know what you're talking about so. oh yeah sure scrupulosity uh the feeling that it's almost like the downside of heroic responsibility the feeling that you are responsible for people around you always feeling good and that you feel a lot of guilt whenever anyone has bad feelings and you want to avoid that from happening so uh, a synonym for scrupulosity is religious ocd yeah yeah it's it is actually a psychological it, disorder i i hate to call it ocd because i don't have ocd screw off but i guess technically that is that is the thing they call it it's what it's, is having pathological guilt or like an obsessive need to yeah if for, there's someone hurting out there in the world you want them to stop hurting and you want to do something specifically personally to do it it's it's you know the hurry up and become god motivation because no one should ever suffer and if someone is suffering and I could do something about it, why aren't I doing something about it? That's as bad as making them suffer myself, you know? For what it's worth, I, as far as, like, not wanting to, like, grab the label of OCD or whatever, I'm pretty sure that most every diagnosis like this exists on a spectrum of, you know, 0 to 100. Yeah. And it's only once you cross the threshold where it's like, okay, now it's like we're going to just say you have the label, right? Um, and that's when you need whatever interventions on it. But I feel like... We're going to look back at like in a hundred years and be like, why were we putting everybody in these boxes when everybody is in all these boxes, right? Why are we trying to shove shove boundaries on these things? Yeah, um, I think it's helpful in a context, but like you don't want to. Once know. it gets bad enough to be interfering with your life, I think is when it gets to the level of diagnosis where it needs a name. Like I think yeah. the Peter Singer example about the kid drowning in a pond. If you see a kid drowning in a pond, are you going to let it drown so you don't ruin your two thousand dollars shoes? No, obviously not. And then he takes that to say, well. You could save a life in Africa right now for $2,000. If you don't do that, it's the same as not jumping in a pond to save a kid because of your $2,000 shoes. And I think that is very compelling. And uh, that results in being completely destitute and working all the time to ship off money to people overseas that you don't know. And it's not good, I, I have found. It, uh, it just, it's, and a lot of people don't fall into that mind frame, but... The, the reason that that was kind of like the 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 catalyst for the effective altruist movement and not like the 50-year, you know, lifespan actual goal of it is because that's not tenable. Yeah. And and in the original essay, I think it's Famine, Affluence, and Morality, published in 1975, there was a line that uh, you, like, the, the conclusion of this is that you should keep giving until you're, until you're sacrificing something of comparable moral worth 
to what you'd be providing. To a child's life? That's the thing, yeah. right? So it's like, okay, well, that means like no new clothes, no coffee, you know, so like, but that, that, that's the logical conclusion, not necessarily what one ought to do. Um, it's just like, yeah, if you run with this all the way, that's where it ends up, but it doesn't mean you have to do that. I'm a big fan of... Like, I sure. literally don't understand why it doesn't mean you have to do that, because I strongly feel you do. And maybe that's um, what the scrupulosity thing is is about, because I don't understand why why that's wrong. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, like, uh, I mean, I think you could say it's less wrong, right? And, I'm, and that's, <laughs> you know, ding. But, uh, like, I was first exposed to the the idea on Slate Star Codex, but I'm sure it's been elsewhere, but, like, a moral gradient. You know, if I eat half as much meat as I used to, um, I'm half as good as a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And if I convince somebody else to do that, I've made a vegetarian, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the two of us are one vegetarian, and that is one vegetarian's net positive impact on the world. That's right? a really good way of looking at it. And so if you're doing anything, you're doing more than nothing, and that's that's morally praiseworthy in and of itself. Maybe the key is to think about things instead of, like, I'm bad for not doing, you can think of things as I'm good for doing, huh. right? And that is a shift because you don't want no one wants to say I'm a good person, right? Yeah. But you know you can just say no. Objectively, I'm better than most people because I'm doing something, right? And that might be you do that without in a non elitist way, and I think that's the path to victory. Yeah. Um, but yeah, scrupulosity is a lot of crushing guilt, and we got way off topic, so we should get back onto topic. <laughs> Thanks for indulging me. Oh no, totally. Uh, yeah. Um, so avoid toxic people. Did we have more to say about avoiding toxic people? Nope. No. Good idea. Okay. Uh, next one is poker mindset is greater than roulette mindset. Ridiculous but true statement. Playing a game of roulette thinking it's poker is better than playing a game of poker thinking it's roulette. Us- assume everything is a game of skill and there's always something you can control. I-, I think this is just really good advice because it's usually the case that there's something you can do in a situation to improve odds a little bit. And if you never think that's the case you won't ever do anything even the stuff that you might be able to do that's low-hanging fruit it's probably true more often than it's false and so Mm. i think because my first thought is like dude there are a lot of things that like you just can't control right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know but assume everything is a game of skill and that there's always something you can control if you're doing that then at least you're you're trying on things you otherwise would have passed up Mm. you know like my whatever if i have stress about the current state of government or something you know at a national level there's literally fuck all i can do about it right Mm -hmm. basically Mm -hmm. um so, you know, that's that's a bad that's an example of like don't burn energy trying to do something about it. But, you but know, there are things you can do more on a local level. Exactly. And at the bottom of it, if you want to just kind of Mott and Bailey this, but in a way that's technically still true, you can always control your reaction to things. <laughs> right. You know, like, a, you know, take a stoic stance on like, oh, what's the headlines over there? Ooh, still terrible. Mm, I'm going to make some waffles, you know, yeah. just like <laughs> just n- leave it over there and not let it be your problem. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, maybe... I think there's a number of things people say, like, I can't control if I get hit by a car or something, right? And that... That's, okay, well... that Someone who says that... I, I get... Okay, yeah. I, all right, let me... Like, Crush my meteorite, maybe. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. yeah exactly. I, I can't control if I get hit by a meteorite. That's just a random thing that there's no way to control that. But on the other hand, you can improve your odds of surviving it. Like, uh, having getting more exercise increases your body's ability to... The, the VO2 level, I think it was called just ability to absorb oxygen and use it and people with a higher vo2 level are more likely to survive the same traumatic event as someone that with a lower level so just even just basic fitness can can help you control things in a little way that you wouldn't have thought could help you control things right 
fight a meteorite. <laughs> you can do the equivalent of looking both ways before you cross the street if it's like the hit by a bus example, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's like, yeah, sure. You can't stop the bus, mm-hmm. but you can prepare and be careful, mm-hmm. right? And if that version, if the version of that is eating well and exercising, then it's like that's. Yeah, you can always if, have three days of calories somewhere in your house in a closet or something. Yeah, and you know there's there's always a like th- this is I like that because that that puts things back in your control in a way that like you know yeah you can't stop the thing but you can you can put up guardrails in your life right mm-hmm. um, yeah I like that um, let's see the next one was obsess over environment move to the city with the highest chance of luck excuse me move to the city with the highest chance of luck for you if you can't physically move to it. Di- do it digitally. Find like-minded people on Discord and Twitter. Provide value. Hmm. This one's hard. Huh? You know? I was like, check. I mean, <laughs> Jason you, absolutely you did yeah, that. Yeah, you're badass. Yeah. I'm not. I moved to Denver, but that was just because that's where uh, my wife was able to land a job after uh, college. And it was only an hour away, you know, so. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think the, the hard part is, like, provide value. It's like, okay, sure. <laughs> Don't suck. Got it. Like, well, you know. I mean, provide value is just what he said before. Find someone doing yeah. something and offer to help. You can always find something to do. Yeah. yeah. It's just this. This one might be. You know, if you're going to a party. You can bring some snacks or something. I don't know. What's funny is this, I, he's actually making the point that I made earlier about if you can't go to a cocktail party, do it digitally, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And here I am arguing against it because that sounds hard, but <laughs> um, you know, it's doable. Mm-hmm. Find an online community that you know doesn't suck and. Be involved there, yeah. yeah. Being in the place where something can happen is really huge, though. Like, if you want to be an actor, you have to go to Los Angeles. Or New York, if you want, you know, stage acting. There's just no other way around it, even though technically, you know, there are some movies that are shot in Omaha or whatever. Right. The talent scouts will just be coming through bumblefuck nowhere and be like, you look like the person we need for this movie. Yeah. Do you have an afternoon off? And like that will almost certainly not happen if you want to become an actor. Don't just wait for them to knock on your door, right? Yeah. Yeah. Luck is concentrated in various areas. Go to those areas. And also part of the reason you go to parties. Yeah. I can dig it. Um here's one that I like and have done. Introduce people. If friend A and friend B can get value from each other, intro them. It's a thirty second email for you and might change their life forever. Yeah, that's a huge one. Congratulations, you both just met a cool person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, you know, they hopefully will remember you as the pe- person who introduced them, but even if they don't, you have been part of the luck-increasing network in the world, and being inside of that network is great. I like this quote. Networks are the only thing that don't divide when you share them. They multiply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I don't have a ton to say about that. Like, it's it's good advice. Yeah. I've done it. I recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Seems like very basic advice, but I guess all of these would sound like very basic advice to some people and not to others. So I can't think of a single time I like introduced two people deliberately. You know, huh. like if I've bumped into somebody while with somebody else, I'll try to remember to introduce them, right? But yeah, yeah. this is this will be an action item for me. I'll try and make this try and find an opportunity to do this. Oh, okay. Um, if you know people with certain skills and someone else that might need that skill, it's actually sort of a life hack too. I realize I was there's one specific time that I remember. I went to a party with like the goal of I'm going to try to in- like talk to people, get to know their basic deal, and then introduce them to other people. And sounds like a fun way to pass time at a party too. It, like a fun yeah, and, I mean, like, again, stealth I, activity. This was a um, launch of one of our mobile games, and it was so it was like I knew my coworkers. I didn't know anybody else there, and it was this massive thing, and I was intimidated. So I was like, I gave myself the goal. 
that would like make me walk around and talk to people, but I was playing a game of let's see if I can like match two people together on common interests. And it was like, and I realized it's like a, a sort of life hack for introverted people that don't really know what to do with themselves as a party at a party too. That's really cool. Man, you had a really good thing to add on this one. Yeah, that was I awesome. Guess I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one. Delete the scoreboard. Uh, it is my turn, right? Because you did the last one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, don't wait for others to do nice things for you before you do nice things for them. Just relentlessly give to good people with no scoreboard in your head, keeping track. You'll end up lucky, fulfilled, and your funeral will be packed. <laughs> I I particularly like that last part. Um, I basically agree completely. Having a scoreboard like that is it's kind of toxic. It's bad. Uh, also, you don't need to have a literal scoreboard because your emotions will keep score for you. Yeah. You will just naturally start feeling better for people that have done nice things to you and you'll want to help them more. And I, I think that's one of the better ways to do like roommate and uh, co-living situations is just do things that will make other people like you more and they will do the same for you and vice versa. And if you aren't doing those things, the, 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 the cohabiting situation might start to fall apart because that's uh that's an important thing to do yeah I, as someone who's like been in group house type situations uh i feel like if you have to keep score sometimes that means you're already failing at it mm-hmm. like especially you know generally people want there to be a scoreboard if they feel like they're the one that's being taken advantage of mm-hmm. <laughs> me being the person that was continually being hey can we you know have split wise or like can we keep track of his buying groceries <laughs> it's like maybe yeah. the conversation i should have had was hey can we talk about how i'm always buying the groceries <laughs> Yeah, nope. I think the only this is this is solid just with the same kind of asterisk that was above about you know if you're giving relentlessly make sure you're doing that wisely mm-hmm. right don't let somebody who's taking relentlessly uh, monopolize that right yeah yeah absolutely but if someone's taking relentlessly I think you're gonna start having bad feeling towards them and then uh, you're gonna stop doing the nice thing hopefully <laughs> but but he says don't keep a scoreboard that's the point right yeah but so, that's, so that's try not to... a scoreboard that's your emotions emotions are like the built-in scoreboard that's a good point honestly that should have been articulated i guess the tweets only have so much length which is part of the <laughs> thing but that should have been articulated like let your feelings keep track rather than actually write down you know i did the dishes on monday tuesday it's your turn on wednesday you know like mm. th- that that is that is nonsense that's gonna make no one happy right and it's also good to keep in mind that like you're not going to see everything that someone else does and they're not going to see everything that you do. So it's important to keep wiggle room in there. And I think this is why he says just relentlessly give to good people with no scoreboard. Because if you keep that scoreboard, you're going to notice all the things which they sometimes don't notice and vice versa. So just the idea that you're always going to be sacrificing something uh, and you're always going to be putting more in that you feel that you're getting is remember that and just be okay with it. Be Be doing this to people that you like enough that you are fine with giving them more than you're getting back and actually it'll turn out good usually again this is assuming you know good people and not toxic people yeah this is good advice after you implement the don't know the no toxic people advice yeah exactly and this is also how hufflepuffs work they just always do nice things for each other over and over and uh it works very well strong building snowballing effects you just have to use your slytherin for a minute to trim the people first and then hobble it. <laughs> yeah yeah that's why you should always have a slytherin somewhere in the group to find you know the toxic people and kept cut them out that's one way you can provide value exactly if your group doesn't have a slytherin yet yeah so this one i liked was uh get more curious with age mm-hmm. curiosity is like your joints it weakens with age you'll dismiss great opportunities as a fad 
Assume your first new, your first thoughts about new trends are wrong. Age like Gary Vee or Mark Cuban. I don't know who Gary Vee is, but I know Mark Cuban is. Who's Mark Cuban? He's a billionaire investor. He's one of the Shark Tank guys. Mm, okay. uh, he was on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He lent uh, Pineck Bandit his jet to take for his bachelor party. Pineck, right. he, the... the, the, the He's on, a rich dude. On the show, the Pontiac Bandit had gone to Shark Tank to pitch his blanket, yeah, okay. uh, the the smush shush. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's like this bone crushing, uh, heavy blanket that he put on Barbara that almost killed her. So. Oh yeah. damn! Oh, God. Anyway, uh, put twenty hours. In, I'm going to actually caveat that last line before we get there because I want to praise it, then draw attention to this last line. So, um, assume your first thoughts about new trends are wrong. I really liked that a lot, mm-hmm. and just uh, because I do that. Right, mm. and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm already an old curmudgeon. I've been doing this forever, <laughs> and uh, don't dismiss great opportunities as a fad. You know, try something. If you're especially if you're in the habit of saying no, try to say yes to stuff, especially if it's safe and you know otherwise responsible. Yeah. Um. But yeah, just try the stuff, see how it goes, and you know if you don't like it, you don't like it. I usually like to new trends. I was like, oh, sweet, this is the cool new thing. I'm going to talk all about it. Yeah, fucking lithium. You know. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, they, they don't always work out, obviously, but they're, it's a good way to, I don't know. You don't have to love the new trend. You have to just not, like, immediately shit on it. You're like, oh, maybe there's something there, yeah. you know? I do think there's that, that good point where curiosity is, like, joints it weakens with age. Because, first of all, fuck aging. But second of all... Um, <laughs> fuck I, joints. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's true. Like, I just am less curious about things in general now, unless I... Uh, push myself just a little bit more than i used to so keep pushing that's yeah. that's the advice because i used to fall down rabbit holes of curiosity often and now i do it less often though i still do it sometimes i do it more than i used to yeah it's probably good right i need to find energy it's just always been one of my like defining character <sighs> traits that's why i've had like eight different careers and mm-hmm. <laughs> which is awesome mm-hmm. I, need, I need to dig into more stuff and get more curious but anyways the last line of this one was put 20 hours into a new trend before you have an opinion yeah and i guess because again, it's Twitter, but he he didn't ar- articulate what he meant by trend. Because I feel like there's a lot of trends that suck, and that that is a prejudgment that I didn't do put in the the hours before making the judgment. But like, uh, what was it? Um, I heard that a uh, Elon's deal to buy Twitter fell through, mm. right? And and, and well, so, so somebody he's backing out of it now. There's going to be some kind of big lawsuit or something. Yeah. Apparently, the terms were like if he if he backed out, he owed them a billion dollars. Right. Which is amazing. Like, hey, if you can't afford this, you owe us a billion dollars. That's an amazing thing to put in your contract, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know what, I, I, don't, I don't know. Someone, one take I heard on it was that like, you know, oh yeah, I guess enough people got to him that he, he backed out. And I'm like, I really hope that's not it. Like, there are a lot of good reasons to not do it, maybe. I don't know. I don't have $40 billion to piss on Twitter. But my uh, guess is that he made this offer before the stock market plunged like a rock. And now he doesn't think it's worth $44 billion and doesn't want to spend that much. Which, you know, I like I agree with him in every single way, but also once you make the offer, you make the offer and now you're kinda of contractually bound to it, even if things change and it ends up not being worth it. I signed for a house in December that won't be done until October, so Yeah. Uh, exactly. You know. Luckily the price was fixed. Yeah. And you know, maybe the housing market will crash before then, right? And the place will you know, the the place next door will be selling for half of what I bought mine for. I'd be pretty fucking salty about that, but yeah, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But then um, I could buy a house. Yeah, then then you know things will work out for more people, and it'll be a, and then I could refinance and you know whatever, right? But yeah. anyway. but the one billion pullout is not. I mean, the it sounds like they're still going to take him to court to try to pu- uh, force the the full purchase. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, if he has to like, well, because it's no way it's worth forty four billion right now. So why yeah. wouldn't they? 
Yeah. It's like, holy shit, that's that, a lot of free money. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like someone was like, oh, maybe, you know, essentially like he got, maybe maybe he was successfully bullied into stopping. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's what it was. It probably was the money because I don't think he's capable of being bullied. Right. Um, but anyway, the, I brought that up because that's a trend that I don't like is bullying strangers on the internet. Mm-hmm. And this is very popular. <laughs> you don't, don't want to try out that trend? I don't want to try it. <laughs> okay. You know, there, there's a chance I could like it. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm the kind of person who could get into it. Um, but I, you know, if it's, it, a lot of people obviously get something that they like might be in, in, in quotes there, but they, they get some sort of reward out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I guess define trend. Let's let, just help me clean that up. Like, you know, is it try new music genre? Cause 20 hours is a long time to try new music that you might not like. I don't think know? 20 hours is a long time for new music. Cause you can play in the background, right? That's true. I think 20 hours would be longer. I, we, we discussed this just before we started recording would be longer to try out like a movie genre. Like I wouldn't have to watch 10 hours of torture porn or 10 <laughs> torture porn movies before I can finally say, no, I put in my 20 hours. I really don't like this genre. <laughs> like, and by that time you basically cleaned out like all the, you know, all the saw movies and hostile. Right. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I don't know if, uh, what's a good example then? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of one good one example where it's like, no, try this for 20 hours and see if you like it. So here's the thing. Maybe there's some in the comments. There's a lot of things to try. Yeah. Like that. That's, that's a specific amount of time. <laughs> it could be a more general idea. Like yeah. instead of like give it a fair shake. Yeah. Yeah. Like instead of like try this specific genre movie, it could be like, hey, give movies a try. If you don't <laughs> like your first movie, maybe watch two or three other movies. Be curious, not judgmental. Yeah. Actually, that's a good, succinct way to put this. Yeah. yeah. And that was uh, well put by Walt Whitman, as articulated by Ted Lasso in uh, mm-hmm. season one. Excellent. Remember his darts game with uh, Evil... Um, evil Giles? Evil Giles, yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. All right, I can dig it. So that makes sense. I uh, I was just thinking, like, that's like a long time commitment. Maybe and, it's uh, yeah, more of a guideline. Anyway, I do like the, uh, the lo- one person in there said, assume that your first thoughts on new trends are wrong, because I needed to hear that too, you know? I don't yeah. want to be dismissive of things that before I try it, you know. Yeah. Um, for example, uh, you had to sell me pretty hard. Well, we we're already in the book, but you know, like there was relationship dynamics oh. in Worth the Candle, <laughs> and I'm like, this is gonna suck. I hate relationship drama in books, and now I'm like super invested. <laughs> so you know, try it before you knock it. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to the end of getting lucky. This was George Mack on Twitter. And we'll link to the Twitter thread. We'll link to, at the bottom, he links to, uh, no, a link to sign up for his newsletter. Clouds and Dirt is the name of the newsletter. <laughs> cool. This was good. I like this advice. I think it's overlooked by people. They're like, oh, you just got to get lucky. There's nothing you can do about that. You still do got to get lucky, but you can improve your odds. Yeah. You can draw more samples from the uh, long tail distribution. I think we talked about this way back in the day, but I've had this tab open ever since on things you're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. and i think we i can throw this to you we'll put it in the show notes again but it's just random shit you know if you want to learn stuff hey you're allowed to hire a researcher or like email an expert and just ask right mm-hmm. it's just a short bullet point list of little things like by the way this is an option you know have you considered and these are other ways to like increase your luck right i don't so. think we ever i don't remember this no talk about this no. all right well then uh it's i'll just send it to you guys now but we should if you want we could do an episode of this about this at some point i'd be down to do an episode about it all right, so eventually we'll follow up and talk about, uh, maybe, I, I don't know where I found this then. Uh, any final thoughts about getting lucky? It seems like almost all of these kind of have a built-in, but like, within reason, caveat. Yeah. If you're going out to a bar, 
like every night or like you know constantly just saturating yourself with uh, social events like you're probably defeating the purpose and <laughs> you can pull it back a bit the analogy of defective altruism and scrupulousness now actually is relevant again because if you do that for if you do if you do the up to 11 for a month you're just done right <laughs> so you actually got to pace yourself and sustain this for decades yeah and yeah. it can be easy to get discouraged from doing it i'm like getting slowly back into being able to do social things beyond just be on this podcast once every two weeks <laughs> like yeah. and uh it it's like a muscle you do have to flex i think i tried like like yeah i have a money now i can jump right back into the my old routines and nope <laughs> <laughs> gotta work back up to that yeah i think uh i think everyone's probably a bit rusty after you know the plague years right mm -hmm. i mean I, I remember getting out to go somewhere after a few months and i'm like oh i'm I'm not as good at driving as I used to be. You know, it took oh, just really? a few minutes to get back in. Like, but I was like, I just... definitely remember my first social event after the lockdown period. Which one was that? Was it a meetup or was it? It, it was yeah, an outdoor meetup actually. Yeah. Uh, because we were still like, yeah, let's let's not uh let's not brush things. But yeah, it was an outdoor meetup, and it was like after a year and a few months. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I haven't seen you people in a long time. I have forgotten how to talk. <laughs> how about that local sports team? Right. <laughs> having weather. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got a couple quick less wrong posts. Oh, yeah, that's right. I but they're really to... fast. Okay, yes. I was so, about to, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One's one line. Mm -hmm. And the amazing virgin pregnancy <laughs> is is a... Imagine that this was, you know, Mary covering up infidelity. Mm -hmm. And it's just a short little kind of like, he writes it in the style of like play dialogue. Mm -hmm. But it's really funny. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this won't be a big deal. Blow over in a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very fun fanfic. It was a big deal. Yeah. Um, What's fun is I, I think the historicity of the word might be Alma. Uh, Which word? I think in Greek, Alma was, that's what like can be interpreted as like maiden, which can be young woman or like oh, virgin. Yeah, yeah. Virgin often meant just young woman because basically once you reach reproductive age, you weren't going to be a virgin anymore anyway back then. Right. So, yeah, they used to use the word maiden as a synonym. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the, but I think the Greek was even more ambiguous and that's where that word was translated from. Right. And so... What's funny is that, like, the virgin pregnancy thing is, like, so this conversation might have happened and it might have gone down like this, right? I mean, or, you're, you're, I, I don't think there was ever something like this that actually happened in history. Later interpolation. Once, well, once Jesus was known to be divine, that's when the virgin thing became a thing. I have heard often that historically, you know, uh, Mary's portrayed as, like, being in her 20s and historically she probably would have been like 13. Yeah. There's no way you're still a virgin in your 20s back in that time. Well, Joseph period. was, like, older. Yeah. So uncomfortable. Yeah, I just uh, it it was funny. So that's that one. Um, the other one was Ash's conformity experiment, and most people are probably familiar with uh the um you know hey here's three lines on a graph and tell me which one's longest. So I'm gonna go down the row, and you get seven wrong answers, and then it's your turn, and you're like the wrong answer they all gave, mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. turns out people did that like what. A high percentage of the time? So... 37%. It doesn't say how many times this was run, but 75% uh, of the subjects in the experiments gave a conforming answer, so saying the wrong answer that everyone else said, at least once. Right. At least once makes me think this was a thing that was run multiple times with the same people. Yeah, yeah. You would, They did it multiple times with the same group of people going mm -hmm. down, and then... Uh, I think 5% of them said the wrong answer every time or something. Okay. Um, and it said a third of them... Um, 
A third of them conformed more than half the time. Right. But also, saying that three-quarters of them gave a conforming answer at least once means that 25% of people never did. They're just like, <laughs> I don't care what you seven stupid fuckers have to say, that one is the longer one. Yeah. Uh, the Wikipedia page on this is pretty comprehensive, too. So, mm-hmm. um, How to find the disagreeable person. <laughs> but here's the question that we always have to ask about uh, social experiment posts. Drum made, roll, please. Yeah, yeah, in 2007, because uh, this was pre-replication crisis. Does it replicate? Yeah, that's why I went to Wikipedia rather than looked at this post. Okay. Because uh, it doesn't say it replicates, but it does... Like, it doesn't come right out and say the survived the replication crisis. Mm-hmm. But this has been repeated a bunch. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, structures for other uh, interpretations of studies and stuff. So it seems sound. The first thing I did was Google, did it replicate? Smart. Uh, and I have linked the first five. Yes, mm-hmm. the first five links I got from that. Uh, the first one was, yes, it did replicate, but it's a it's a video, but it was also made for a news show on TV, so Suspicious. they may have massaged it, yeah. The second one was, yes, it does replicate, but it replicates less often for men. And this is actually something that was brought up later in the post, so uh, I, I put all this before I kept reading the post. Uh, third one was, no, it did not replicate. Uh, this one, only one out of 360-something times did someone conform. But uh, this was also done entirely on STEM undergrads, which, as we will read later in the post, that was actually a predictor of being less likely to conform. Uh, Next one. Did it replicate? Yes, if women. No, if men. Also mentioned later on. Apparently, men are less, more likely to be disagreeable. Mm -hmm. Finally, does it replicate? Yes, but more often if you're a younger, more often if you're less socially prominent in the group, and more often if the people saying yes are your friends rather than strangers. Which all stands to reason. It does. I agree. Intuitively, it does. But Eliezer, uh, the rest of the post is him saying, why does this stand to reason? Mm. And uh, I guess that's why we go on to the rest of the post. The main thing he says... And if you have good friends, if you cultivate a good atmosphere, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you will be the one who's fine saying, I disagree with all of you, and you won't be worried about them judging your harshness. That was an earlier piece of advice. Just uh, if you don't know, go with what your friends are saying. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just want to make sure, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm shilling for the rationalist community. Yes. If I disagree with everybody at the meetup, they'll be like, oh, that's curious. Why? Yeah. Not, yeah. you fucking moron. Yeah. At, at the last meetup, we you know there was some discussion of a uh, touchy political nature, and there was nobody being like, oh, you fucking idiot, or anything. I was just like, that's interesting. Why do you think that? And uh, there was a little bit of talk about that. I missed the meetup. I had a uh, rather severe headache. Wait, I don't remember the I don't know. I had a stomachache and a headache Thursday and Wednesday last week. Oh, man. I, missed I, the meetup, I, I so. was sick, too, last week. I feel like a lot of people were. Womp. Mm. But it was like a weird, like I tested for COVID. It wasn't that. Some friends did the same. Oof. Some coworkers were out. It was like just a weird week. I'm glad it passed. But yeah, Eliezer points out the Amman Agreement Theorem that uh, other people's beliefs are actually often legitimate evidence. Uh, What are the odds that in a group of seven, eight people, uh, if they all agree on a different answer than what you came up with, you're the one who's right and they're not? It should be on normally um, some evidence that maybe you're looking at something wrong. Maybe... Something's happened that uh, that they they are right and I'm wrong. You misunderstood the question. They all understood it properly. Like yeah, the fact, yeah, the fact that everyone else is saying something is evidence that you're wrong. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's... If everybody else is jumping off the bridge, maybe they know a train is about to run over this bridge. Yeah, it's you know the the absurd uh, extension of that though is like most of the world's religious, right? Right. So you know there there is a limit to this, but 
there's it is it is evidence yeah. you know so anyway this is a uh, something we do at my job is everything but there's a lot of calculations obviously and then uh we have a system where everyone needs to verify everything mm-hmm. at least once but uh if there's like a conflict then they just end up pulling more people and like hey we need more eyeballs on this hmm. cool. <laughs> and it is a uh, sort of you know it's maybe it's kind of the theory of prediction markets mm-hmm. the wisdom of crowds and whatever mm-hmm. yeah but i mean yeah we are much more likely to find where the problem in the calculation is the more people like come and try to do it themselves yeah yeah even just simple computer problems half the time you call someone over and they're like oh you just didn't click that button there have you turned it on and turned it off again (laughs) (laughs) and half half of the remaining half of the time it's like by the time you're finished explaining the question that you have to them you've already figured it out yeah yeah which is why you should talk to your rubber duck first yeah Uh, so much of the rest of the post is Eliezer saying, but this can't be the case, because uh, one of the things he points out is that conformity increases strongly with up to three confederates, but doesn't increase further up to 10 to 15 confederates. If people are conforming rationally, then the opinion of 15 should be substantially stronger evidence than the opinion of three. We're, con- we're conforming rationally to our monkey brain, you know? Our monkey brain can't can't do math past three or four, maybe, you know? Uh, maybe. <laughs> That's yeah. the Dunbar's number of confederates. <laughs> <laughs> He also says that adding a single dissenter, just one other person who gives the actual correct answer, or even a different incorrect answer that splits splits from the main group's incorrect answer, reduces conformity very sharply, down to just 5 to 10% of subjects, uh, which shouldn't make that huge of a difference if, you know, you're doing the whole sampling of, of people idea. But having one person, you know, say, "Well, hold up a minute," mm-hmm. you're like, "Oh, good. I can, I can also now, you know, say mm-hmm. the, I can, I can comfortably yeah. voice my, my, my thought on it." But again, it's a psycholo- psychological thing rather than a Bayesian rationalist thing. Yeah, no, it's all, it's all monkey brain. Yeah. yeah. The funnest part was when he said that uh, when when they were interviewed, the people in the one dissenter condition did not think their nonconformity had been influenced or enabled by the dissenter, <laughs> and yet. <laughs> Statistics show. Yeah. So again, it's, you know, if this was a group of, of whatever, um, like reflective rationalist thinking, like thinking about this as an experiment kind of person, you'd be like, no, of course. Like if, if someone asked me at work, you know, well, Stephen, why were you, why did you feel embold, emboldened mm-hmm. to disagree with the CTO here? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, because, you know, he suggested this might be wrong first. And I just weighed in that I agreed with him. You know, mm-hmm. I was never going to jump in and say I disagree with him until because I'm not. I'm not informed enough, but if like, you know, I was leaning that way and then this smart guy agrees with me, I'm like, oh, good. I agree with him, you know? This is probably why dictators and other evil people are so quick to crack down immediately on the very first dissenter. There has to be a strong precedence of nobody saying anything, so everybody thinks there's unanimity. Mm-hmm. As soon as one person dissents, then other people start thinking what they actually, saying what they actually think. Can't That's have absolutely that. why, yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, the, an, another interesting outgrowth of all this is that when the single dissenter suddenly switched back to conforming to the group, the subject's conformity rates went back up to just as high as in the no dissenter condition. So apparently being the first dissenter is valuable and costly social service, but you've got to keep it up. Yeah. To this I... Oh, go on. Oh, I I was going to say this this kind of... I don't know. It, It... I think that there is some... A lot of people really complain about... Uh, edgelords, contrarians, people who are, you know, being contrary just to be contrary. And sure, they can be annoying sometimes, but also that trolling sometimes may have a valuable service in allowing other people to to be emboldened to actually say things. Yeah, it like, also kind of depends on if you're doing it in good faith, too. If you're just 
dissenting to be an edgelord, then you're probably not actually providing that valuable of a service. You're just wasting people's time. Uh, yeah, to that I was going to say, with the example of uh, the work meeting earlier, that it really pays if you're a business or probably even just a group of friends or a family to create an environment where people don't feel like they're going to be hammered down by the dictator mm-hmm. <laughs> when they come forth also. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, after seeing that, felt safe enough to like go to my manager and like complain about a thing at work and I knew that I wasn't just going to be con- like treated like the problem they were going to be like even though I was only there three weeks like oh your opinion's valuable we'll look into that sure enough yeah that's awesome I, I kind of want to make some kind of point about censorship regimes and social media but then I'm like ah fuck it <laughs> just <laughs> we'll, like insert we'll Ash says Ash thing yeah there we go <laughs> we'll save that for another time though because that's, that's a conversation worth having yeah um, Anyway, this last one was was fun. Uh, when subjects can respond in a way that will not be seen by the group, conformity also drops, which argues against the ominous interpretation. But I, I like the work example. That's when we have like our weekly. Yeah, I think every week we do like a half hour meeting, like on the company. You know, how's our, how's everything doing? There's like forty people who work there, so it's not you know too much. Mm-hmm. Um, while they're doing like the kind of like quick presentation on how things are going, there's a little applet inside Microsoft Teams, which we use because we're not cool. We should be using Slack. Um, <laughs> but you can ask questions anonymously. And every meeting, the she's the head of HR. But her her title in the email says, like, I think head of people relations or something. And I like that more because mm-hmm. uh, it just, it sounds, you know. people Yeah. But um, <laughs> the, uh, anyway, so she, she reminds us every call, like, hey, if you have any questions, you can ask them anonymously using this. And I think that's really cool because we get questions every, most every week. And like, what's this actually mean? Can you explain this? What, what, you know, so stuff like that, where you don't want to be the person who raised your hand when the CEO is talking and be like, can, can you explain what you mean there? That makes no fucking sense. Mm-hmm. But you can, you can quietly and politely ask that anonymously, which is fun. Yeah. So. That is really cool. It, is there a way to second things? Because if just one person asks, maybe you're going to skip over it for time. But like if somebody else is seconding it, then you're like, okay, I really needed to be clearer on this one point. You could totally write in and just say, yeah, what they said, uh-huh. you know, and it just says anonymous, you know, as the person who sent it again. So yeah. in theory, you could do that to yourself. You could boost your own message, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> if no one's getting point. to it, yeah, yeah. but why not? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the reason that all this talk about uh, Ash's conformity experiment is done is because he is setting up things for the next few posts. The next two posts we're going to be reading for next episode are On Expressing Your Concerns and Lonely Descent. Fun on a bun. Yeah. Should we thank the patron? We should. All right. I feel like I haven't gone in a while. This week's special patron shout out goes to Alvaro Fernando. Uh, fuck. I was on a roll, I felt like, with the first two parts yeah. of the name. I.K. Goe Kokia. Sorry, man. You tried. I. I, I, you rock, uh, Alvaro, I can say. And we're on a first name basis. I'm Steven. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Excellent. You, you're, you're crushing it. We appreciate it. Uh, my inability to be, my, my lack of culture and, uh, inability to correctly pronounce things is, uh, is a me problem, not a you problem. But if Steven ever meets you at a party, he will gladly introduce you to other people using just your first name. Yes. And you can, uh, uh, please correct me when, when I get it wrong. So <laughs> this is Al. <laughs> yeah this is a good buddy al yeah. anyway thank you alvaro uh, <laughs> your support uh means a lot keeps this thing going we're gonna we're still working on cool new mic setups and uh doing science with those and you know it's great so thanks we appreciate it yeah uh we appreciate everybody's help i'm i'm out of brain juice introduce Should... us to your friends yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and we will do the same to you 
It make, makes us feel lucky. Yeah, something, something. That was bad. Yeah, yeah we're, I think we're so lucky to have you all as listeners. Aww. Aww. That's actually literally true. <laughs> we're all tired, I think, so like, yep. good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Until next time. All right, bye.